Let's look into the text in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. We will read this again. Can't read this segment of scripture too much. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Three years ago, this morning, October 20th, 2016, I sat alone in a booth in the Ellison Place soda shop, drinking coffee and reading and nervously chatting with my server that morning. Leslie Ann was somewhere on the third floor at St. Thomas Midtown, and we had done this before a few times. But there was a stirring within me that morning that was unlike any that I'd had. You see, we were having a baby girl. You know, come to think of it, finding out the gender of our children was always really fun. That was one of the most fun things about having children, as I recall. I remember with, with our oldest, we, um, you know, we were pretty young and had no idea what we were doing, still don't. But we put, I remember we put what we thought he was in our pocket before we went in to see the ultrasound tech and have the ultrasound. And um, I still have that little folded up sheet of paper that I wrote in black Sharpie boy on, as I guessed correctly. Um, and then we had, um, we had a miscarriage. Leslie Ann had a miscarriage um, before um, Elliot was born. Um, and then a few months later, we, we, um, we chose not to find out Elliot's gender uh, at the ultrasound, but we did celebrate a healthy heartbeat, I remember. And then we forewent that finding out, and we had uh, the ultrasound tech seal it in an envelope, two envelopes, actually. We needed one for a backup, and we took it to a, a cake baker. Because when you do it this way, the cake baker has a lot of authority, right? They could really mess with you. Uh, and we had them bake a cake with the center layer of icing, the color of either blue or pink. Uh, and we had a family party, and it was fun. I wore a big pink sweater that day because I thought it was going to be a girl. Elliot's not a girl. It was blue. And then I'm glad Lewis went to Children's Church because I am so embarrassed to say that I really didn't remember how we celebrated Lewis's <laughs> gender reveal. We were so tired, had so many babies. Um, Leslie Ann reminded me that we found out at the, at the ultrasound tech. And um, we weren't disappointed. We love the little boys, but it would have been nice to have a little girl. And, Lewis is not a little girl. But then we, 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 we had the fourth baby. And I remember because we were older, Leslie was older, we were able to do this um, genetic testing for free. 
uh, and you can find out through that, um, she'll correct me if I'm wrong later, but you can find out through that at 12 weeks what the gender is. And so we, we chose to do that because we were really excited to know. And uh, Dr. Presley, our OB, could not get Leslie Ann on the phone. So I was the first to connect with him that day. And I will never forget one of the coolest phone conversations ever because he said, boy, your life is about to change. And it has. We have uh, a three-year-old who is every bit a three-year-old this morning. She became a three-year-old before she actually became a three-year-old. We actually believe three is worse than two. That's where I'm going with this. And so she's a mess, uh, but it's her birthday today. Um, So back to that day three years ago, the labor and delivery nurse was actually a friend of ours, uh, Katie. And as as Hattie came into this world, I I was overwhelmed. And, I, you know, we had done this a few times before, but it, so overwhelmed, embarrassingly, that Katie was, was I mean, as Leslie Ann was having Hattie, they were both concerned about me because I looked like I was going down because I was really <laughs> struggling. And she's asking as Hattie is coming into the world, is he going to be okay? Is he? I can't adequately describe what made me so overwhelmed in those moments when Hattie was born. Maybe it was that Leslie Ann was a bit older and I was worried, you know, a little bit. Or maybe it was bringing a baby girl into this world. Maybe I was simply overcome with affection, which I certainly was meeting all of our children. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And to love your neighbor. Loving God with all of our heart has to do with affection. The Apostle Paul teaches us that we can love God And love one another because God first loved us, loves us. So hear me. I pray this morning that you believe that you can love God because God loves you. And God has shown us this love and that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Indeed, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. Or to make God love us less. So I pray that you believe this morning that God loves you. And that in turn, you can love God with all of your affection, with all of your heart. The soul is a bit different. Loving the Lord your God with all of our soul involves living a life of faithfulness to all that the Lord has required of us. Living a whole life the whole way. While loving the Lord with all of our heart has to do with affection, loving the Lord with all of our soul has to do with devotion. The soul gives definition to who we are. Biblically, I believe soul means life. So as the psalmist reminded us earlier today, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Why in my life, why am I in life so dejected? Why all this turmoil? I think we can all relate to that. Perhaps even profoundly so, even this morning, depending on what's going on with you. But our soul gives shape to our identity. It's, it's, it's where we make our decisions and choices. It's, it's where we ultimately decide what our lifestyle will be like and our behavior will be like. I ask you to think of your soul as who you are at your core. To love the Lord your God with all your soul means to love God in how you live, in the choices we make, in the behavior 
and lifestyle that we adopt. I reminded you last week the, what Annie Dillard said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. I love that quote. How we think and how we act, how we love others reveals a great deal about our lives, about our soul. I was asked this week what the soul sickness of our church is. Here's what I'm certain about, that we're not that different than other congregations. And I think Paul gives us a good window into what this can look like for congregations when he wrote to the Colossians. In verse 8 and 9 in Colossians 3, Paul asks us to put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from our mouth. Don't lie to one another. Then he goes on in verse 12 and 13 to counter those with holy and dearly loved ones. God's chosen ones. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, wait a minute. Pause. This is easy for me. I've read Colossians a lot. Perhaps you have too. Been to a lot of weddings where we say this very passage, which is good. We should. It's great. But it kind of washes over me like, oh, that's something you hear in church. Dial in. Hear these words. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another. So Harpathites, hear me. Do we let anger... Get the better of us. I do. Recently. Shoot. Or are we kind? Are we vengeful? Full of wrath? Or do we know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord? God said that. Vengeance is mine. Totally taking all of that responsibility off of you and me. Praise God. Are we malicious? Or are we kind and and humble and gentle? Are we reckless and perhaps vile with our words? Or or are we kind and and patient with our words? Notice I'm saying kind a lot. It's very important. Are we truthful? Do we lie to one another? Or are we forgiving? Forgiving. Do we we serve one another in the things that we say to one another, in the way we interact with one another, what we testify to with one another? Do you honor God in the other person and how we interact with one another, speak to and about one another? Slander or forgiving? How can we keep this soul sickness that verses 8 and 9 in Colossians 3 allude to and speak directly about, actually? How do we keep it at bay? How do we avoid it? My prayer for us is that we would be kind, that we would be forthright, that we would be real 
that we would be loving, removing any kind of a facade or front we feel the need to put up, but that we could really be with one another and know one another. And that when we pass the peace together, not just for a few minutes early in our service, but all week long, that we would really be ourselves as we interact with one another. When our soul is clicking, when it is as Jesus would have it be, we can be those things. We really can. I was telling, as we prayed before worship, I was telling my friends that we, Leslie Ann and I got to go to a songwriter's night, Music City Songwriters, on Friday night at Cheekwood. It was amazing. It was awesome. So fun. Uh, The guys that um, headlined were songwriters in town. Maybe you've been around them. The guys at Wendell Mobley and Lee Thomas Miller and the Warren Brothers. I mean, it was incredible. Guys that have written, I mean, every song sung was like, oh, I know that song. It's so cool to hear the songs sung. And these guys are, you know, they're, they're so talented and they've written, you know, made a ton of money and written so many good songs. These are swervy individuals who know that they're, they're good. But they also have humility that comes through. And, and that's aided by how they tell their stories about the songs that they've written. The songs that they are singing for us. There's, Lee Thomas Miller told a story. He, he sang his song, It Ain't My Fault, which I think is sung by a group called the Brothers Osborne. I really need to get with the newer country music. I'm still kind of stuck in the early 2000s, but y'all can help me along. But it's a catchy song, and I had heard it. And he was telling about where it came from, kind of the origin of writing that song. And it's a catchy tune that he sings about all this stuff that has gone wrong. But none of the stuff that's gone wrong is the person who's singing its fault. It ain't my fault. And he said, he's got young children, and I can totally relate to this. He said the, the idea for that song came from he would come home at night to his house. And, and he would see his family and his kids and all the stuff would be broken. He must have little boys. It's just all broken. But nobody broke the stuff. I, re- I resonated with that. It ain't my fault. I hear that a lot at home. And I'm prone to say it as well. Again, my prayer for us is that we would be kind, that we would be forthright, that we would be real. That we could be truthful and expect to be loved in our truthfulness. That we would share the hope that we have in Jesus to anybody, anywhere, anytime. But that we wouldn't be weird about it. And it would just flow from us as if from our soul. And we testify to what we know to be true like these guys did writing these songs. They just sang about, they just wrote about their lives. Our lives should be more like that, where we just go through our days and testify to who we are. And for those of us who follow Jesus, for who we are to be about following Jesus. That we would follow Jesus so closely that we would literally be covered by the dust that kicks up off of Jesus' feet. I love that picture. I was listening to an interview not too long ago from, it was a um, podcast where Martin Sheen, actor, was um, being interviewed. 
I first came across Martin Sheen uh, as President Bartlett on the show The West Wing. And he was talking about his, his life as an actor, his work as an actor. And he was asked when he first knew what he was going to do, when he was going to be an actor. When did he first know that? And his answer astounded me. He said when he was very young. It actually was when he watched the first movie he ever saw. And I, I, I don't remember what the movie was that he said it was, but I remember what he said about it. He said, I was watching the movie and I saw the characters playing their parts and acting and putting everything they had into it. And he thought to himself, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what's inside of me. That's how I can express all of this that I'm feeling. That's what I'm supposed to do. The songwriters, I can't remember which one it was, made a joke at some point in telling their stories, saying that they, as songwriters, the one thing they all had in common up there on stage is that we can't do anything else. And he was saying it as a joke, like, well, we all ended up songwriting because we couldn't do anything else. But I also heard it a different way because they were so good at it. Maybe they fell into it because they just couldn't do anything else. Couldn't spend their time doing anything else. Couldn't imagine doing anything else. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what my soul is telling me. That's what the spirit that rests on me because God is so gracious to rest his spirit on us. is testifying in us and through us. And we can't help but do anything else but to be who God has called us to be. To testify to the gospel that we believe to be true, so true, so important that we can't keep it to ourselves. So we tell people we know about Jesus. Not in a weird way. In a very natural way. It's what our soul should testify to. My, my contention, my belief this morning is that you and everyone else are made to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, to be like Jesus. It's, it's, it's who you are. Everybody. And you can't do anything else. Much like Martin Sheen, as he watched those characters act, I want us all to look out into the world, into the eyes of each other, into our children, into our, to others' children, and realize that we are here to love God and to love others. It is who we are. It is what this passage is, is, is crying out to us to understand, to believe, and to live into. It is what our soul, again, should testify to. After Dr. Presley delivered Anne Harriet Owen, our little Hattie, he handed her to Leslie Ann, and I looked down at this baby and instantly fell in love with her. I knew I would do anything for her. I knew I had no interest in ever telling her no, which I hear is a problem. I am her dad. Nothing can change that. Nothing could separate me from the love that I have for Hattie. This sermon is simple, y'all. I desire to know and I desire for you to know that God loves us infinitely more than I love Hattie. I want that knowing and what we do with that knowing to be all that defines our soul's 
people of great devotion to God and great devotion to one another so that the world may have their affection and their attention and their devotion turned to God as well. I've told you this story before, but I'm going to remind you of it because I think it's important. There was a pastor in northern Georgia, small town, group of small towns around him, and, and there was a hospital there that kind of served these small counties and the people there. And the pastors would rotate seeing people in this hospital. And one, one time it was this particular pastor's turn. There was a baby born in the hospital, which didn't happen a ton, so it was really exciting. And the pastor got to the hospital, and there was this little bitty baby, and there was this clan of people gathered around the window, you know, looking into the baby and saying how cute it is, even though it probably wasn't. And the pastor said, is it a boy or is it a girl? Somebody said, it's a girl. Well, what's the name? Well, it's Elizabeth. Well, is the, is the father over here in the group? And they said, no. And the pastor looked back against the wall and there was a man leaning against the wall. And he, he spoke up and said, I'm the father. Pastor said, is the baby's name Elizabeth? He said, yeah. Pastor said, it's a beautiful baby. And she was squirming, and you could see through the window that her face was really wet, red, and she was quite fussy. And the pastor, thinking the father might be concerned about this, he looked at him and said, now listen, she's okay. It's good for them to cry like that. Clears their lungs out. Helps their voice get going. She's not sick father said oh I know she's not sick but she's mad as you know what and then he said oh pardon me reverend I'm sorry and reverend said that's okay what's she mad at father said well wouldn't you be mad one minute you're with God and then next minute you're in Georgia (laughs) that was not a football joke The reverend said to himself, I got a real mountain mystic here. Now, whatever you think about the theology of this young man, it's an interesting thought, at least, to think about that before we come into the world, we would be with God. Pastor said, You believe she was with God before she came to be with us? Father said, Oh, yeah. Pastor said, do you think, you think she'll remember? Father said, well, that's up to her mother and me. That's up to our church. We have to see that she remembers. Because if she doesn't, she's a goner. Whose are you? Do you know whose you are? Do you know who you belong to? Because that has to define who you are. Salvation is is so much more about realizing who we are at our core more than trying to achieve any kind of realization or or do what God is asking us to do effectively enough 
It's settling into who God has made us to be, who we are at our core, as if we've always been with God before we came to be on earth. How is your soul today? Can you relax your body and sit in the knowledge that you belong to God? Does it give you calm? Do you feel God's presence? Because I believe if if so, then we have a chance to be who God has created us to be. And in turn, like I believe baby Elizabeth was able to in that story, to make this place, God's kingdom that has come and is coming here to earth, much more like it was originally intended to be so that others may know Christ and be able to live a whole life the whole way. We do not do that alone. You should be so glad and excited that God has brought you to a congregation that intends to do that. And I pray that more will come. Because God is with us. Specifically by sending his son Jesus. As a sacrifice to to completely save us. To rescue us from a life of wandering aimlessly to a life where our souls can literally daily testify to the truth of the gospel and rest in God's love and care.